It lies somewhere between the pit of your stomach, your racing heart, and your brain, somehow trying to keep it all together. It's an area we call the adrenaline zone. So they go and they x-ray me and I get on the training table and I look up and there's like four minutes left to go in this game. And I looked at the doctor, I said, you put that splint on, I'm going back in this game. And there was a player sitting there on the training table next to me and he said, you're one bad, I can't say what he said. Sarah Thomas was hired by the National Football League in 2015 as the first woman referee in the high-speed, hard-hitting environment of professional football. She was chosen as a member of the crew that officiated in Super Bowl 55 in February 2021. I'm former astronaut Dr. Sandra Magnus. And I'm retired Navy fighter pilot Admiral Sandy Winnefeld. We're two adrenaline junkies who love spending time with people who are really passionate about pushing their boundaries as far as possible. Speaking of adrenaline... We're delighted to have Zoa Energy as this episode's sponsor. We caught up with Sarah at home in Mississippi, taking a well-deserved break between seasons. Before we get into some of the details about your officiating experience, we'd like to introduce you to our listeners. So can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up, your own athletic career, and how you decided to go into officiating? Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, I was born and raised in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and I played softball and basketball there. Started at the age of five and just played all the way till I was 23. Softball, I loved it. Uh, basketball, I can't say that I didn't love it, but uh, it paid my my way through college. I just grew up in a household where whatever season it was, that's what we were watching. Football, baseball, basketball. It was just a family affair. Not only my immediate family, but extended family. My aunts, uncles, all of us. We all grew up around sports. I have an amazing aunt. Uh, she's 81, which just blows my mind. But she was very influential in my life. She um, she won the first women's NCAA national title in 1971. And that gave her the honor to coach the U.S. world team that went to Moscow, Russia in 73. And Pat Summit was one of her players. But she had a very influential time with me and encouraged me to play basketball. And so, yeah, I grew up in Pascagoula. Then I moved to the Jackson, Mississippi area about 20-so years ago. And by fluke, me getting kicked out of a men's basketball league, I picked up officiating. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, Sarah, is there anything special about you or your upbringing uh, that made you ideal for officiating work? You know, like were you always critiquing your siblings and things that they did <laughs> or anything like that? Yeah, I would say, as my mother describes me, a strong-willed child. I just I may yeah get on them or correct them, but it started with my my parents. Really, I, I don't know that it's anything special. It's just if we did something, there you know we were going to get in trouble for it, or uh, if something happened, we looked at number one. Like we don't we don't blame others. We don't make excuses. We take a uh, you have to be accountable for your own actions. Be responsible. I was just raised that way, and um. And I, I still carry that into where I am today. I, it's, it starts with number one. You're the one that has to motivate you. You say you just picked up officiating, but I think there's probably more to it. How, how do you get into officiating? And, and then how do you progress through the ranks to get to the point where you can officiate at a Super Bowl? Right. By me getting kicked out of the, the league, I was sportsless, I guess, for the first time since I was five. 
And I was talking to my brother and I said, what are you doing this evening? And he said he was going to a football officials meeting. And I said, can girls do that? And of course he was like, I guess so, sis, be there at six, don't be late. And so I show up, drag, you know, dragging, he's dragging me along or I'm tagging along. And I walked in and I'm here to tell you, I was shocked that these guys actually get together and discuss rules and plays because I hated the officials when I played and truth be told, they hated me. But if I'd have known that they did this, it probably would have changed my mindset about them. But I was, I was just intrigued that they took such pride in what they were doing. And then the challenge of me not knowing the game of football, never had played it. Of course, I watched it. Of course, I thought I knew what holding was. But yeah, so that got my competitive juices flowing again. And when I went and worked my first peewee game, I, I loved it. I love being able to give back to the community, the challenge, the co competition, just being a part of it. And I've just, I, I grew to love it. You know, I'm not sure people would imagine officiating as a competitive endeavor. So how, how is that competitive? Well, it is because I had such a huge learning curve and it was maybe the competition within myself. Like I need to master this as best I can. And I knew that I, I, I just had to do it. So maybe it was just a competition within myself, but also just, um, you know, where you rank and how you grade out, even in the high school ranks, is determine what playoff game you get. So there was maybe some competition amongst your peers, but you just want you just want to get it right. And I had such things to learn, the the rules changing, uh, new rules coming in. Just there's, yeah, there's a, a huge competitive feel to it. So Sarah, take us onto the field for an NFL game. I've been on the sidelines of several of those games as a guest of the Indianapolis Colts. And I'll tell you, it's a lot faster and more violent than it looks on television. What's it like for you? You're actually out there. Yeah, that, the NFL does a great job of making sure we're trained and they don't just hire you straight out of, you know, high school or college as far as, as your age. But when you're officiating, you work your way up and they, they look at you, they watch you, they scout you. And when they feel that you are ready, then they'll bring you into the league. And our mechanics and basics fundamentals has a lot to determine in harm's way or not. Sometimes you get caught up in it when you're doing the best you can. But yeah, the, the NFL and just our training, our, our coaches that we have, our supervisors, um, they get you prepared to walk out on that field. I've been, I've been ran over before though. I mean, I've been trucked, I'd like to say. <laughs> I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. So how long did it take you to go from Little League through, I guess, college and then the NFL? And I imagine you were kind of learning the the trick of being on the sideline and, and being in that environment along the way as you went up to the NFL, whereas Sandy mentioned, it's like, no kidding. There's a lot going on. Yeah. I was just looking back on that. So I believe it was 18 seasons that I had under my belt before the NFL hired me. It was 10 in high school and seven or eight in college. And the joke is I was, you know, I had three kids during all that time too. So I guess, being on the field, I'd say 15. Um, but yeah, so 
18 seasons I worked before I got into the NFL. You know, Sarah, I mentioned a minute ago that it, you know it's fast and violent out there. And, um, you know, you were injured in a game in 2016, as you mentioned, and you returned to finish that game with a broken wrist. You know, that's pretty impressive. Can you tell us what that day was like for you? Oh, yeah. Christmas Eve in Green Bay, a bombing 29 degrees. There's about seven minutes left, a little over seven minutes, I believe, in the fourth quarter, which was a very one-sided game at that time. And there was a busted play, and the quarterback slings it to the receiver. But I took my eyes off the receiver and the defender to make sure that the quarterback didn't step out of bounds. And when I did, I turned. When I turned to see if they were going to catch it, the next thing I saw was the sky. My hat flies off, and I knew something was wrong with my wrist. So they take me back into the trainer's um, training room. And when I got inside that tunnel, I lost my religion. I like to say, I was like, I cannot believe the girl got hit on national television. You got to be kidding me. Why did I get hit? So they go and they x-ray me and I get on the training table and I look up and there's like four minutes left to go in this game. And I looked at the doctor. I said, you put that splint on. I'm going back in this game. And there was a player sitting there on the training table next to me. And he said, you're one bad. I can't say what he said. And NFL security said, you're you're joking, right? And I said, nope, get your running shoes. I'm going back through that tunnel. So I got back out. It was a two-minute warning. And it was a very um, – it, now it was a one-score game. And we're getting set up in the last few seconds for an onside kick. And my ump- umpire, Sean Smith, he comes over and he says, hey, don't be a hero. And I said, I'm one step ahead of you, fellow. I've already asked which way they're going to kick. So after that game, I um, – I called my kids and my oldest says, Hey mom, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I've just got a broken wrist. And he said, okay, well, good. He said, you do know you got run over by Rudolph on Christmas Eve because it was Cal Rudolph and it was Christmas Eve. But yeah, I had to have surgery three days later. It was, uh, I've got a plate and seven screws and a pin in my right wrist. You recently served as a down judge, and so that, you know, as people are running off the field, clearly there's a potential for collision. What other positions are there, and is there one that's more or less in the middle of the violence or or not? Sure. So I would say used to the umpire, when he was on the defensive side of the ball, was always in harm's way, always. But on the line of scrimmage, both me, the down judge, and the line judge, we're right there on the line of scrimmage. You've got your referee and your umpire in the offensive backfield, and they've got to be quick because a busted play and or shift in uh, direction, they could get caught up in it easily. The deep wings, your back judge, side judge, field judge, they see the action coming. Um, I, I, I pick at them. And I, we, we all do. We joke with them and say, you only have one guy to really watch, a receiver, really to a defender. But I went and tried to do that position at a scrimmage one time. And it wasn't the player that got me, but I was backpedaling and it was the pylon I hit. And my legs came out from underneath me and I said, I'll never make a joke at you guys again. <laughs> That's great. You mentioned penalties <laughs> earlier. You know, some penalties, Sarah, seem to be pretty straightforward, right? Somebody jumps off sides, pretty easy. But some require a good bit of judgment, like a holding call. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about which ones are the hardest and how you go about deciding uh, when and when not to throw a flag? Yeah. So, you know, you just at this level and really college and in high school, you just have to 
there's got to be, you know, you know, the spirit of the game, if you will. Uh, the rules are there. Yes, there are some that are pretty obvious and, and we call them like you were just saying a judgment. It's just we have the mindset that there's got to be materially restriction or materially affect the play. And that's how we determine. How often has a call that you've been made been challenged? And then how does that feel when you've made a very difficult call and either you're on the right side of it or the, or the wrong side of it? Yeah, you've got to have short-term memory. I can tell you that because at any given time when we throw it, there's going to be half of the crowd that's not happy and the other half that is, or when we don't throw it. Uh, it's the same situation, but you just have to have short-term memory. You've got to go to the next play. I, I take it back to my playing days, playing softball, shortstop, you make an error, that ball's going to come right back at you. you got to clear your mind, dump it, if you will, and move on to the next one. But yeah, it's it's our job in itself is pressure enough and just to sit there and have second guess ourselves on everything that would just add more pressure. After this short break, we'll talk to Sarah about how a top performing professional football official handles the high emotions of the game's participants. What if you could get energy, immunity, and strength in one sip? Well now you can. Zoa is the fastest growing energy drink on the market created by Dwayne The Rock Johnson to fuel risk takers and world changers like you. Zoa is packed with superfoods like Kamu Kamu and Acerola Cherries that provide multiple B vitamins and 100% vitamin C. Plus, Zoa has just the right kick of caffeine from green tea and green coffee in five amazing flavors. Look for it on Amazon, at your favorite retailer, or order online at zoaenergy.com. That's Z-O-A energy.com. How does that affect you when the coaches or players, whether you've made a call right or wrong, but they can be very emotional about it, right? And they're getting in your face and start to argue. Yeah, they can get passionate, I like to say. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's fine because I was, I was an athlete. I have coached an AAU girls basketball team. I got teed up a couple of times. Um, I don't know if I ever got ejected. I, maybe I did. But, uh, yeah, I just, it's their job. They're going to express it. And I will, as we all, we're very professional. They're professional. And the one thing you don't want to do is ignore them because ignoring someone is the first form of rejection. And that really will upset anyone. So I try to just handle it and tell them how I saw it and we move on. So Sarah, I was what they call a landing signal officer on aircraft carriers a long time ago, which means grading every single landing a pilot makes. So I know about the thankless nature of officiating because it's pretty competitive. But how often does a player or a coach come up to you after a game and say, you know, nice job today, Sarah, or do they just vanish and, and uh, you vanish back into your own locker room? Yeah, I don't see coaches typically. I'm going to my locker room. They're going to, of course, shake hands with the opposing coach. But um, the only time we really have that interaction with them is during training camps and stuff like that. Or before the game, we'll just shake hands and I'll I'll shake both head coaches' hands and just, you know, this year it was just stay healthy. That was the message I would send to them. But yeah, after the game, we're off and running. You know, one of the things as a follow-up to that, we, after our missions, we'd come back, you know, from being on orbit for 10 or 12 days or months, and we'd have debriefs where we'd walk through the things that went well and the things that didn't go well. Do you guys have sort of post-game debriefs where you do an analysis of how everybody performed? 
Yes. And I just want to tell you both, y'all are amazing at what you've done and what you're doing. So, um, yeah, we have post games. So after the game, we get a thumb drive and it has every play from that game on it. And I immediately, when I get on the airplane, I look at all the plays. I look at the fouls are called, the ones that I really want to take a look at that I didn't call, and then just go through the game. And we all critique each other. Every position on the field, replay, we all give our comments about certain things. And then we have a coach that looks at it, makes comments back to us on various things. We respond, and then we get a grade on Wednesday. And that grade definitely helps your postseason assignment, or it could hurt you. But when we get back together for our pregame, we'll discuss the previous game and what went on. If we hadn't already discussed it, various crewmates will call and that sort of thing. But as long as we get in our comments and do what we, then we generate discussion that way. And then we go over the, the big stuff the following weekend. I'll follow real quickly up on that, not with a question, but you know, I, I would tell you one of the reasons why we have the best Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps air pilots in the world is because they're brutally honest with each other. And it sounds like that's the same process uh, that you go along uh, as an official. That is exactly right, Sandy. And I, I have carried that over into my personal life, not, not bringing the, the game home, but I am that way with my kids. It's like there's just no gray area. It's this is what we need to do. We need to be honest about it. We let's move forward. Just yeah. I, I don't know. It's the best way to be. Sarah, you were the first woman to officiate in a Super Bowl. So clearly that wasn't just a part of the NFL trying to show diversity. This whole scoring system underpins that advancement through the ranks and how you you get into the big game. I am so glad you said that because that is exactly right. I mean, it is not given to anyone. When you get the call for the Super Bowl, you have done exactly what you're supposed to do. So the kind of grading that they do, is it calls you made, calls you didn't make, how well you do the signals, or or you know, there's a numerical score, I would assume, that comes out of this. Everything you just said, calls, no calls, mechanics, which is our signals, positioning where we are, which is huge. If you're not in the right position, sometimes that's how you miss the call. And it could be a matter of inches. Um, yeah, so we started at a hundred, let's say, and if I were to get something incorrect, I would get heavily dinged for it. And you don't get any bonus points is what I'm saying. So you want to start and keep at a hundred and the percentage between the number one position that goes to the Super Bowl um, versus the number two slot, sl- slim, small percentage. Well, I know it's a prestigious thing to make it through that process and to get invited to to officiate in the biggest game. I believe once a long time ago, you were asked about the challenges associated with being a female football referee. And you replied, everybody's been very professional and they look at me just like another official. Uh, that's not only a credit to you, it's a credit to the league and its players and how you were brought up. But you had to have a few butterflies before that very first game and also before the Super Bowl, knowing you were not only in the most important football game in the world with millions of people watching, but you were a bit in the limelight yourself. Uh, and there are a lot of women looking up to you. Tell me, were you nervous? <laughs> well, I was not nervous for the Super Bowl, which almost makes you nervous, if you understand what I'm saying. But that first game that I worked in Houston for the NFL, 
I, I I was anxious to get it kicked off. I'm like, let's just get over this. Let's get this thing kicked off and let's go. And let me just fly under the radar. And I felt that way. I was probably nervous when I worked my very first big high school game, right? Because I was it was so early in my career. But as far as nervous for the Super Bowl, because of how the league does it, and you're not even eligible to work a Super Bowl until your fifth season. And then the crew I was on, and every Sunday, we prepare for that game like it is the Super Bowl. We would say, Chad Hill, my downwing, he'd, we'd close and he'd say, tomorrow's our Super Bowl, and we'd go work it. And when I walked on that field for Super Bowl Sunday and I saw my kids in the, the stands, it was just, it was go time. It, let's go. I'm ready. But, you know, going back to the beginning when you first got into officiating and showed up at that meeting and there were no other women in the room, um, there probably were some ch- attitude changes and cultural changes and, and barriers that you had to surmount to get through the whole process. Yeah, it was funny because when I, my, I met my brother there and he stopped me before we went in and he said, sis, you're going to get some strange stares. These are a bunch of old men setting their ways. And I walked in and sure enough, the gentleman at the front, George Nash, he just watched me. And so I said, is this where you become a football official? And I can't repeat what he said, but then he said, I guess so. And no one, and he thought I was somebody's wife checking up to make sure her husband was where he was supposed to be. Cause they'd never had a woman walk in there before. And he just said that some of the guys were a little concerned and he said, look, She's younger than all of us. She's definitely more athletic than all of us. Uh, And her eyesight's got to be better than ours. She's younger than us. Why wouldn't we let her officiate? So he had that mindset. And when the leader has that mindset, there may be rhetoric amongst the guys, but I never ran into that. Um, But I can read people. It's just like all women. Sometimes you walk into a room of all women and it's it's harder than walking into a room of all men. But I just think it, it goes back to also how we carry ourselves. As a reminder, this episode of The Adrenaline Zone is brought to you by ZOA Energy. ZOA is designed to support healthy immunity while providing a boost of energy and hydration. And you can always find out more on zoaenergy.com. So Sarah, I think the goal, if I were to I guess here a little bit, of any officiating crew, especially in a Super Bowl, is to get off the field not having been the focal point. Um, Are there any moments from that particular game this year, uh, Tampa Bay versus uh, Kansas City, that really stand out for you? For example, a play where you had to make a key call? No, not any any one play, Sandy. And and it's just, you're right. We want to go unnoticed. We want to go unnoticed. And every game, there's going to be those uh, controversial calls that a lot of people want to weigh in and have their opinion. And they're entitled to do that. But I feel like we had an, an elite crew and we called an elite game. I think you all did a great job in that game. There's always a little bit of snipping going on. You know, the TV broadcasters like to, to say things, but uh, it was remarkable to me that unlike some other games in the past, you guys, uh, I think, accomplished your your mission there. Yeah, when we when we walked into that locker room, it was great. Just the embrace and, you know, fist bumps and all of that. Just 
And you do, you just want to leave that field knowing you left it all out there. You did the job that you were required to do. And we, we did that. Yep. So you, you've talked a lot about the um, feedback and the team. Can you talk a little bit about the culture and the teamwork that develops on the crew and how that propagates and if that's intentional or it just develops? Sandy, it's the family, it's the chemistry, it's the camaraderie, which was a little different this year because of COVID. We did everything via Zoom. And so the only time we were around each other was um, on the bus to go to the stadium and, of course, in the locker room. But it's huge. The chemistry just off the field bleeds to on the field. And I know that we're all professionals, but at the end of the day, that whole family atmosphere, the chemistry, the camaraderie, is huge. And we all talk during the week and we still talk. I, I talked to a few guys just yesterday, but it's, it's huge. And it's, it's meaningful when you get on the field with that. You know, you're with the same crew during the entire regular season. I think in 2020, you were on the officiating crew led by Sean Hockley, who's the son of legendary official Ed Hockley. But you know, when you get to the Super Bowl, it's a little different. There are 17 officiating crews in the NFL. And as you mentioned, the crew that officiates in a Super Bowl is drawn from the top performers among those crews. So it's brand new coming together. So for the Super Bowl, is there any concern that the crew hasn't had that opportunity to gel or are the procedures so standardized uh, that any crew can come together and immediately be effective? I'm here to tell you, everybody that is selected to work that Super Bowl, we all trust and know that they're great at what they're doing and or they wouldn't be there. So you just have to have that trust. And when you've worked in the league, this is my sixth season, and several other guys have been in the league for longer than that. At some point, I'd worked with a good bit of the guys that were on the Super Bowl crew, and that happens throughout. So you just know that if they've been selected, you're blessed to work with them and vice versa with you. So you just know that you got to go out there and work and trust that they're going to do their job or they wouldn't be there. So you mentioned earlier the pressure uh, and the stress that that can happen when you're in the middle of a really important game like the Super Bowl and even when the first time that you were stepping into the NFL, how do you handle that pressure and stress? I don't try to put it added pressure on myself. This job in itself carries enough pressure. And I just I take it back to my playing I playing years. That being critiqued, being looked at, the coaching, and then just me being who I am and and it's not out of the norm for me to be the only girl. I just, I don't put any of that added pressure on myself. Officiating in the NFL is obviously very prestigious, but it's not a full-time job. So I've got two questions for you. And the first one is, what do you do when you're not wearing that zebra shirt? (laughs) I am a mom of three kids, wonderful kids. Um, And it's baseball season, so it's great. Uh, And uh, the little one, she's not involved in any sports just yet. She, She tags along and watches brothers. But also, I, I do a little um, marketing for a physical therapy group here in the uh, Mississippi area, 360 Total Rehab, and he actually is my physical therapist, which is great. And then I have the privilege of working with Kepler Speakers Bureau out of Arlington, Virginia, and I speak nationally, and I, I love doing that. And I'm hoping we'll get back to some live stuff pretty soon. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, fingers crossed. My second question on that was, um, you know, the players have an offseason, but I'm sure officials do as well. Uh, what kinds of things do you do as a, individually and as, uh, as a profession, actually, to get prepared for opening, you know, the, that first exhibition game, usually in August? 
Yeah, today is exactly two months away from whenever whenever we start receiving emails and our season kicks off May 15th. So I've got eight weeks to get um, just maintain my body and, and shape and go to my trainer and do what I've got to do, eat healthy. And we start test. We all have our written test. They usually come out today or but they haven't. I hadn't seen them on email, but we'll start with our written rules test. And um, yes, yeah, start watching film. And then May, it'll be everything with the league and hopefully our clinics and mini camps. And, and Sarah, yeah. those rules aren't simple. You know, we uh, we amateurs watching and critiquing uh, out in the stands or on TV, you know, think we know everything. But those rules are, are, are not very simple. Uh, so I would imagine it does take a good bit of studying and work to, to stay on top of them. That's right. You never really put the rule book down. You just don't. Facebook, rule book, replay. That's right. You know, as as I listen to your story, Sarah, I, I, I get impression of confidence, mental toughness, perseverance, and passion. And, you know, as a female going into uh, a, a male-dominated field, I it's important for young women to, to recognize those are traits that are really important. I imagine you get the same kind of questions I do about what's it like to be a female working in a male dominant field because they, sometimes young women don't feel like taking that risk. Right. right. Yeah. So how right. do you deal with that? Those questions? Uh, I, I love the way that you described me as, that's great. I mean, that's a huge compliment, but um, I, I, my daughter, I, I just, I think Sandy, the way a woman carries herself into a room, you know, throw your shoulders back, have your head high and just know you belong. And when you walk in with that air of confidence, the atmosphere just changes. Sarah, anytime we, you, uh, Sandy and I use the word crew, that implies leadership and mentoring. Uh, You've been in the NFL for five years. You've talked about uh, being a high school ref for 10 years. What have you learned over all your experience as an official as you've grown from a rookie, as it were, uh, into a seasoned NFL official? What have you learned about teaching uh, new folks coming into, into your profession? My biggest thing that I pass on to them is you be the best official, whatever position you're in, you be the best that you can be Every time you're granted the opportunity to work, don't get too far ahead of yourself saying you want to be in, a, in the NFL or you want to do this. You want to be the best that you can be at that moment. And I learned that myself because if you're looking to next Sunday or next season, you'll miss the opportunity right in front of you. And people will notice your work ethic, how meticulous you are with your mechanics, your positioning. Just stay focused on that one opportunity that you have in front of you. Now, we asked you a little bit earlier in this episode about um, when you got knocked down that one time, but I didn't ask you if that was the hairiest situation you'd ever been in on the field. Are there any other times when, uh, you know, it's been a little tense or, uh, you know, challenging for you personally? Yeah, I will tell you that my rookie season, all the veterans will tell you, do not get in the middle of the, the players. So I end up in the middle of the players. And I thought to myself, I'm in trouble. I'm about to get hit. And I just started yelling and they stopped because I don't think they'd ever heard a woman's voice. <laughs> and I, I, I literally, I thought I am in trouble, but I did. They just stopped. I threw my hands up and I was just like, stop, knock it off or whatever. And they did immediately. 
I'm sure your kids do that too. <laughs> <laughs> they don't listen as well. <laughs> Inevitably. Now, along those same lines, would you care to share with us what you consider one of your your sort of professional highlight successful moments and maybe a moment where on the other side, things might not have gone so well? Yeah. Um, of course, granting, you know, the opportunity to work the Super Bowl, that was phenomenal. Phenomenal. My rookie season, my first Monday night football game, I'll never forget standing on the pylon. It was Pittsburgh at San Diego. And the theme music for Monday night, that dun-dun-dun, it was pounding in my chest. It was so loud. And there was a play at the end of the game, and it came down to uh, me ruling touchdown. Uh, and I got it right. And the next day, of course, it was all over social media newspapers. And I just think back on that, if I had got it wrong, what that may have done. So that's one that I just think about. But uh, the not so good times, yeah, you want to, you just want to dump them. We're going to, we're going to make those little uh, faux pas. We don't want to, we want to work it perfectly. But yeah, I did call a fourth time out my rookie year too. And there's only three per half. So that was a big no-no. If I could have crawled underneath the turf, I would have. Yeah, that's where the mental toughness comes in. And, and, right. and I think athletics helps develop that, you know, in yeah. general. And in the Navy nuclear world, we have something called forceful backup. So I'm sure that when you called that fourth time out, there was probably somebody who came over and said, not so fast, right? Well, yeah, they, they, they were like, they don't have a timeout. I was like, oh, well, I wish we would have spoken or communicated or I would have jotted it down or I failed to do something on my part for sure. But the next year, they changed the rules, Sandy, with that. Uh, if you call a fourth time out and we grant it, it's a penalty. So <laughs> I guess that mistake I made. It Puts made the onus on them. <laughs> right. It's a learning environment, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So any other uh, really uh, cool experiences that you've, you've uh, had growing up in the league? I mean, getting to know some of these amazingly talented athletes, and I, I don't mean no personally, but just sort of being around them. Is there, is there, how does that feel, uh, being on the field constantly with incredibly talented people? I tell you what, it's, it's, it's a gift. I mean, yeah, you're right. They are amazing, athletic. It's just phenomenal to see these guys move like they do. And, you know, Sandy, the thing I enjoy the most are the training camps because that's when we do get to kind of talk with them about rules and, hey, what you call this and can you walk me through this? They'll ask us questions. We have meetings with the, the coaches and the teams for them to ask us all questions. But also I can take my kids to a training camp or I have before and they get to meet their, you know, favorite football player. And that's really, I, I love that aspect of it. So are there any uh, rule changes we should be looking for this upcoming season? I haven't seen any yet, Sandy. I, usually, it's, it's funny. People start asking me. They were like, I saw it on the internet, and I haven't seen anything just yet. But there'll be some, I'm sure. Sarah, it seems like your approach to risk is you just take it head on and, and stay focused and barrel through it. Did you find that as you were going up from peewee to high school to college to NFL, the external environment was uh, more distracting because the crowds were bigger, the the hype was bigger. How did you deal with that? That's great. Um, yeah, I hadn't even thought about it like that. And I am, I am head on. But 
you do that first college game that I worked at Memphis, Chris Cockrell, his great uncle is the late Megger Evers. And Chris grabbed my hand and he said, do you have any idea what you're about to do? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, I'm about to go work a football game. How about you? And when we walked out of that tunnel, the cameras started running towards me, right? And I looked at him and I went, what's happening today, Chris? You know, like and he said, he said, you're so crazy, Sarah. And so, yeah, you walk out that first time and you just look up in the stands and yeah, it's, it's a definitely a shift from high school to college. And then from Conference USA to the NFL, I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. You take it all in, but you're ready. You're not overwhelmed. You, you don't get mesmerized. But having the fans there and those crowds, it's electrifying. I mean, it gets my juices flowing. Are there any, any sort of unique rituals you might have? Uh, something you do right before you walk out onto the field? Or is there any particular way you like to relax after a game's over? Yeah, so I have, I am, I'm, I'm like Rain Man. I do the same thing every, every time. Rituals, yes. Uh, I iron my uniform while, and while I'm doing that, I, I listen to my playlist and then I sit in the same spot on the bus when we go to the stadium. When I get into my locker room, I do the exact same thing, lay everything out. This year we went and dressed though. Typically we, we don't go dressed in our uniform, but, um, Right before I walk out of the tunnel, I just flip another switch and just say it's go time. Then after the game, I get the thumb drive um, and it's got all the plays on it. And I I just get in my seat on the airplane and get me a glass of wine and I watch the game. And that kind of helps me unwind to some degree. But, yeah, when I get home, I'm still wound up from the flight and the game and just the critiquing. And um, I, it takes me about two hours to fall asleep once I'm home. So I'll have another glass of wine and then I'll, then I'll relax a little bit. Yeah. Sarah, as we, as we wind things up, I was just curious, do you have other young women or girls coming up to you who are interested in officiating and want advice on how to do that? Yes, I, I do. And I tell them to go to their, uh, local high school athletic association and tell them you want to start officiating football and ask when they meet. And then you can also, if she's at a game, uh, you see the, the crew on the sideline at a junior high game or a peewee game, ask them, say, hey, I'd like to get involved in officiating. When do y'all meet? Do you meet? And how do I get involved? And they can tell you. Do you get some of those young women expressing interest, but then the hesitancy about jumping into such a field because it looks risky because not that many women do it? I would say, Sandy, that that is changing more and more yeah. and more. When they hired me at Conference USA, which was 2007, I was the first in the you know female in NCAA, um, I guess, whatever major bowl division. But that day when they hired me or announced my hiring, there were four female applicants that applied and they had never had an applicant before, female applicant before. I don't know how many hundreds of women there are now, I believe, in college football, which is great. So over the course of the years and, of course, seeing it in the NFL, um, when I do these speaking engagements, especially at universities, I will have 
girls tell me I've been officiating football for two years. I've, I just worked my first varsity. It's, it's phenomenal. So there's more and more though. Yeah, that's great to hear. Awesome. So Sarah, thank you so much for spending time with our listeners today. And, and thanks for uh, being an inspiration, not only to young women all around the country who might be thinking of jumping into a previously tough profession to get into, but it, as an inspiration to the rest of us. And and congratulations on your successful officiating career, and in particular, your most recent milestone of officiating the Super Bowl. We'll be looking for you on the field this fall. And uh, once again, we really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And to both of you amazing individuals, thank you for all that you have done and continue to do. That was the first woman to officiate in a Super Bowl, Sarah Thomas. Many thanks to Zoa Energy, who sponsored this episode. Check them out at ZoaEnergy.com. I'm Sandy Winnefeld. And I'm Sandra Magnus. Join us back in the Adrenaline Zone next week for a new episode. If you like our show, be sure to follow us and write a review and tell your friends about us. And if you have a suggestion for an adrenaline seeker we might want to interview, visit our website at theadrenalinezone.com.